Melchizedek is a tricky name, isn't it? I don't know many myself. So well done. Thank you for that reading. Okay, we're continuing our series in this uh, New Testament letter to the Hebrews. Uh, So before we look further at this together, uh, let me pray for us and ask for God's help in understanding his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage of scripture and we pray it would be a blessing to us this morning. Uh, We know that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And we know that your Holy Spirit takes your word and applies it to our hearts and our lives in a living and an active way. Um, So please, we pray, do that this morning. Uh, Encourage us from your word. uh, Show us fresh truths about yourself or truths we're already familiar with, but help them to go down deeper into our hearts so that we see the true relevance and beauty of them. And we ask this all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I don't know what your memories, uh, your childhood memories of your primary school principals are like, uh, but mine aren't particularly pleasant. Uh, His name was Mr. Bonner. He was an ex-rugby player. He had a huge frame and a loud, bellowing voice, and to a weedy seven-year-old, he was a monster. Uh, This may not come as a surprise to some of you, but uh, believe it or not, there were occasions as a small boy when I was naughty. Uh, I still recall that awful sense of fear and trembling when summoned to the headmaster's office, the principal's office, uh, waiting there in the reception area with his secretary quietly and serenely typing away. And then finally walking with shaking legs into his office. It was like going through the gates of the Silverwater Detention Centre and he reduced me to tears on several occasions. I only ever went to Mr Bonner's office when I was summoned. I would never dream of going there for help or encouragement. When we think of how we relate to God, is there some truth in my primary school education experience with how we relate to God? Are there times when we are more inclined to run from God than to run to Him? Uh, Some of us may have never truly Uh, come to God. Maybe we have been running from God our whole lives. Uh, Maybe we view him as a bit of a a stern principle figure. One who is going to punish us for breaking the rules. We see him as unapproachable. Uh, Some of us uh, have come to God through Christ. We're already trusting in Christ for bringing us to God. Uh, We've put our faith in Jesus and yet are there not still times when we feel inclined to run from him rather than to him. In times when we are maybe feeling weak and maybe times when we are feeling ashamed and we don't know where to go, in the face of temptations, uh, struggling not to do what we know we shouldn't do, maybe in the face of failure, uh, despondency because we've done yet again what we know we shouldn't have done, maybe in the face of doubts, uh, struggling to keep believing what we know we should believe. Sometimes do we not feel weak? Do we not feel ashamed as Christians? Sometimes don't we not always feel inclined, therefore, to go to God? Maybe we're a bit more like Adam and Eve in the garden, who were more comfortable hiding than going to him. And therefore, it's in times of weakness or of shame that we need help to go to God. Not to hide from him, but to go to him. And our passage in Hebrews today is a great encouragement for us to do that because we see something of God's character 
which will help us in those times when we feel weak and ashamed. And it's all to do with Jesus being what is called here our great high priest. Uh, Now, just to set the context of what we've been seeing in this letter of Hebrews, uh, in previous weeks we've seen, of course, this letter is written to some Jewish Christians in the first century AD. Uh, They were suffering quite severe persecution for their faith. And they're considering giving up. They're considering giving up the Christian faith. Uh, They are discouraged. Uh, They are weak. Maybe they're even feeling ashamed of their consideration of ditching Christ. And they don't know if they can keep going as Christians. And so the writer of this letter is exhorting them, don't give up. Keep going. Keep trusting Jesus. Keep holding on to him. And at this point in the letter today, which we just had read to us, uh, the writer moves to encourage them and us with a very precious truth. It's actually the start now of a major new theme in the letter, which continues all the way up to chapter 10. It's this theme of Jesus being our great high priest, an ever-present help in time of need. So what are we going to look at this morning from this letter? Uh, We're going to see this. Firstly, uh, we're going to see the role of the high priest, which uh, is wonderfully fulfilled in Jesus, because of course we know that everything in the Old Testament ultimately points to Jesus, they are shadows of things of what was to come. And Jesus is the greater reality. So we're going to see that's the first thing. The role of the high priest which is wonderfully fulfilled in Jesus. Uh, Secondly, the qualification for the high priest, which again is perfectly satisfied in Jesus. And finally, the attitude of the high priest, which is wonderfully exemplified in Jesus. So that's where we're going. Are you with us so far? Good. Okay. So let's think of this, uh, this first issue, the role of the high priest, which is wonderfully fulfilled in Jesus. Uh, look at uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1, because it talks to us about the role of a high priest. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters relating to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. So, see what the role of a high priest is? Why is it important? Because it is very important. Well, a high priest is an intermediary. He is a go-between. He goes between the people and God. Uh, Back in the Old Testament, uh, God knew that people would sin. God knew that people wouldn't always obey him. And so he set up this system to help them, a system by which they could be forgiven for their sin. We read about it, of course, in the book of Exodus, uh, the second letter of the book of the Bible. Uh, God asked Israel there to set up a special place. Uh, That was a tent when they're in the desert called the tabernacle. Later, when they're in the promised land, it becomes, of course, a fixed dwelling, the temple. Uh, This special place was a place where God dwelt among his people. And God also then gave them instructions to set apart a special group of people. And they were called priests. And the leader of that group of people was the high priest. And their job was to represent the people to God. Now the the climax of the high priest's annual calendar was what's called the Day of Atonement, also called Yom Kippur. And on this day, the high priest would enter the special place of God's presence. And on that day, he would offer a sacrifice for the people's sin. And he would do that 
so that the people could be forgiven their sin. It was God's mechanism to remove this problem of sin in the relationship with them and God. It was God's mechanism to maintain that relationship with his people, a means by which sin could be forgiven and dealt with. And that, therefore, you see, was the vital aspect of the high priest's role. The high priest was the go-between, the one between the people and God, the one who offered this sacrifice on behalf of the people so they could continue to have relationship with God. So that was the role of the high priest in the Old Testament. Uh, When we come to Jesus, we see he wonderfully and perfectly fulfills that role. Because as we're seeing here, Jesus is our great high priest, our unique high priest. He does a job which no other can do. He's our go-between. He's gone through the heavens and he's actually entered God's special place, his presence in heaven itself on our behalf. Look at chapter 4, verse 14. We have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. He has gone into God's presence, his special presence on our behalf. The interesting thing is this. Not only is Jesus our perfect high priest who offers the sacrifice to God for our sin, but as we'll see later in the letter of Hebrews, he is also the sacrifice that is offered It's already been alluded to in the beginning of the letter, chapter 1, verse 3. It says this, if you recall. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. When does he do that? When does Christ provide purification for our sins? On the cross. What we remember at Easter. On the cross. Because there he offers the sacrifice of himself. The perfect sacrifice which purifies us from all sin when we put our trust in him. So, that's the first thing we've seen. The role of the high priest perfectly fulfilled in Jesus. Uh, Secondly then, uh, the qualifications for the high priest which is wonderfully satisfied in Jesus. Now the question it's interesting to ask is how did somebody become a high priest? Uh, Well, uh, it wasn't a democratic process. It wasn't uh, based on a voting system. You couldn't get all your mates together and say, vote for me and become high priest. It didn't work like that. No, the only way you could become a high priest was if God chose you. Chapter 5, verse 4. No one takes this honour upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. And of course, Aaron was uh, the first high priest. But God's choice has one restriction on it, one limitation, if you like. The representative of the people had to be one of the people. The high priest had to be a human being. He had to be one of us. Chapter 5, verse 1 again. Every high priest is selected from among men. Now then... um, I don't know if you were alive in the 1960s, but of course in the 1960s uh, in America, there was the uh, Afro-American Civil Rights Movement. Can you imagine that movement being led by a white person? I don't think so. Uh, No, it had to be somebody who was a black man. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was the man, of course, for the moment. For you see, for all those 
disenfranchised Afro-Americans that he led, it was important that they could say, he is one of us. And therefore, in a similar case, such was the case for the office of high priest. The high priest had to be one of us. He had to be human. Now you see, that is why the incarnation is so important. Uh, if you're wondering what I'm meaning by that, it's of course it's when God became a human being. It's what we're about to celebrate in just four weeks' time. Christmas. God taking on flesh. The Son of God becoming one of us. It's mind-boggling what happens and what we remember at Christmas. God became one of us. He remained whilst he was on earth, fully God, but at the same time he was fully human. But do you see, therefore, because he was fully human, he therefore is eligible for the role of high priest. He is eligible to be selected by God to represent us. And that is what wonderfully happened. Chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are a priest forever in the order of, there it is, Melchizedek. Yeah, we're going to come back to the character of Melchizedek in uh, chapter 7. Uh, suffice to say for now that he was a priest king in the time of Abraham. And yet God is saying here about Jesus. God has chosen him to be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So, Jesus, firstly, perfectly fulfills the role of high priest. Secondly, Jesus wonderfully satisfies the qualifications for being the high priest. And then thirdly, and this is where we'll spend our remaining time this morning, we see that Jesus wonderfully exemplifies the attitude of the high priest. It's only when we look more deeply at what it means for Jesus to be fully human that we see how amazing it is and we start to grasp some of the implications that flow out of it. Because the point is this. Jesus, as our high priest, has a softness and a sympathy towards us as our go-between. And it means, therefore, that we can trust him for our welfare. Jesus, as our high priest, has lived in our world. He has walked in our shoes. Jesus, as our high priest, knows the pressures and the temptations that we are under. And therefore, Jesus, as our high priest, as our go-between, has a sympathy and a softness towards us, born out of his human experience. Jesus, as our high priest, can relate to what we're going through, and therefore we can trust him with our welfare. Uh, you may remember the uh, 2012 uh, US presidential election. Uh, one of the runners for that, uh, for the Republican Party, was uh, Mitt Romney. Now, uh, some bright spark in the uh, probably Democratic dirty tricks department uh, obviously had an inspired moment because they were thinking up some sort of poster campaign which would maybe pull the rug from the feet of uh, Mitt Romney, the opponent. And they, they put a, a poster campaign up, which um, was quite effective and powerful. It had a picture of Mitt, Mitt Romney with these following words. 
I know what it's like losing a home. I can never remember where my fourth one is. There we go. Well, uh, you can imagine the impact on the man in the street, on the people who are struggling to pay the rent and to put the food on the table for the kids. This guy, he's totally out of touch with my situation. He's no idea of the pressures I face. I'm not going to trust him with my personal welfare. There's Buckley's chance of me voting for him. Is that what it is like with Jesus? Is Jesus out of touch with what it's like for us to live in a fallen world? And the answer, wonderfully, is no. Can Jesus really relate to the pressures and the temptations I face? Can Jesus really be trusted with my personal welfare? And the answer, wonderfully, is yes. Because he has a softness in him. He knows what it's like to live in this fallen world. He has an empathy with us, which is born out of his experience of living life on the earth. The high priests in the Old Testament, they were sympathetic to the people whom they represented. Uh, they were, when the people came to them with the sin offerings, saying, please offer the sacrifice on behalf of us to God, the high priest in the Old Testament, they wouldn't bawl out the people and say, you've done it again. Because the high priest knew they had been subject to the same pressures, the same temptations, and even the same failings. And we see this in chapter 5, verse 2. Speaking of the Old Testament high priests, it said, uh, and the high priest in particular, he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he had to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. But when we come to Jesus, we see that worked out in a way which is perfect. He wonderfully is able to empathize with us. And that means that when we come to him, there's no way that he's going to bawl us out. Uh, whilst I was on holidays uh, this year, uh, this truth came home to me on my return. Uh, I had arranged for somebody to, uh, from outside of the church to take one of my scripture classes in the local schools. Uh, when I came back, and I found, to my horror, that she'd completely forgotten to turn up on the day. Oh, I was really uh, distraught. I was thinking, well, poor kid's sitting there waiting and nobody turns up. Uh, my initial ang uh, response was to respond with anger. How could they? And I was tempted to really chew them out. But then I remembered another instance a few weeks earlier, where I had forgotten to turn up to the Cherrybrook Lakes Retirement Home a monthly service. And I'd been due to lead that day. Uh, fortunately, uh, my colleague who was preaching there was able to cover for me. But it completely slipped my mind. Uh, please don't be worried. Uh, I'm not in the habit of forgetting things. That's the first time I can remember for many years that I've actually forgotten something. So don't worry about me turning up on a Sunday. But the point was this. When I remembered that I had forgotten something, it then actually tempered my response to my friend who had kindly offered to do my scripture class but forgot. I actually didn't respond, therefore, by bawling them out. I had a sympathy test situation because I recognized I myself had been subject to the same weakness and the same failing. And the good news, therefore, is this. Christ as our high priest is no different. 
He is a wonderfully gentle and sympathetic high priest. Why? Because he knows what it's like. He's been through what we go through every day. He has faced the same temptations that we face. Now, he hasn't failed like us, but he has been subject to the same pressures as us. Chapter 4, verse 15, look at this. Speaking of Jesus, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Do you see? Jesus has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus does know what it's like. It's actually quite a staggering thought. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted to give up going God's way. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted to be proud. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted to respond with anger in the face of injustice. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted to be selfish. Jesus knows what it's like to be bitter and to want to be tempted to take revenge. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted to be sexually immoral. He was tempted in every way as we are, and yet he resisted. What is all the more staggering is that he resisted with the resources that you or I have. Now, I don't know if you've seen um, that TV series, uh, Born Survivor. It's our hero, uh, Bear Grylls, uh, ex-SAS soldier. Uh, he comes up again. Uh, in this series, Born Survivor, Bear Grylls is dropped into a hostile environment, uh, usually a desert or a jungle, to show you the skills you would need to survive if you were in the same situation. So, uh, he's usually put into these situations with nothing more than you or I would have if we were a backpacker who got lost. So he wouldn't have anything more with him uh, than maybe a backpack and a knife. Now, you see, it would be rather pointless in that situation if he was dropped into a jungle or a desert with a team of 50 people around him and uh, container loads of all the latest high-tech equipment. The point is, he is showing you how to do it with exactly the same resources that you would have at your disposal if you were in that same situation. No advantages. And when we come to Jesus, that just gives us a little bit of window as to how staggering it is that he was able to be tempted in every way that we are and yet resist. Uh, for many years, I assumed that it must have been very easy for Jesus to go God's way. I said to myself, hey, he's the son of God. Uh, surely when he was tempted, he was just you know, like a superman, though the bullets would just bounce off him. But then one day, the penny dropped for me. One day I realized, no, in becoming a man, the Son of God became a human being, just like me. And he lived that life with the resources that you or I had available to us, no more and no less. In other words... Jesus didn't make it any easier for himself in living his life on earth by exploiting his sonship as the Son of God. He never used his divine powers to make his life easier on earth. So think about it. That situation where he's in the desert, he's been there for 40 days. He has been fasting. He's not eaten. He's starving. And the devil tempts him. Use your power. 
to turn these stones into bread. Use your powers, the Son of God, to alleviate hunger. He says, no, he refuses. He has to live a life as a mere human being with the powers that you or I have. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he is faced with a great injustice. He's about to be arrested, wrongfully arrested. And we know, and it says, he could have called down 12 legions of angels to rescue him. But he says, no. He's going to walk the path with the resources that you or I have before us. You see? Jesus had no special privileges. He shared the same weaknesses. He faced the same temptations. And he endured the same opposition. And he learned what it was like, therefore, to live faithfully under God in his world. He was made like us in every way. Look at chapter 2, verse 17. For this reason, and we saw this in previous weeks, for this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. It's amazing, isn't it? Truly staggering. When you think about how temptation works, the fact that Jesus never once gave into temptation is absolutely staggering. Think about it like this. He faced the same temptations that you or I face, but he faced them to a level more severe than you or I can ever face a temptation. Uh, I found this, the comments of C.S. Lewis helpful on this. I've actually put them on the screen, uh, but let me read them to you because it's very insightful. He said this in his uh, book, Mere Christianity. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A person who gives into temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. Do you see? We have a great high priest, a unique high priest, a remarkable high priest. And the question then as we close is this. How did he do it? How did he tread that path of obedience with only the resources that you or I have? And what can we learn from it? How should that help us to also tread the same path of obedience all the way to the end point of God's rest to heaven? To, to persevere in trusting and obeying. Did you pick it up in the reading? The answer comes in chapter 5 verse 7. Look at this. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. What was Christ's secret? Did he have the power within himself? No, he didn't. He prayed for it. He prayed to God the Father. He prayed for help. Help me every step of the way. Therefore, how can we do it? By doing exactly the same 
by crying out, by praying. And that's what chapter 4, verse 16 is exhorting us to do. Look at this. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, Jesus is a sympathetic high priest, but his sympathy is far more than just sentiment. It translates into a real willingness to help us, and he will help us if we will only ask him. And so that's where we end. We're encouraged to pray, to ask, to, as it says, to approach the throne of grace with confidence. Because when we do so, God isn't going to turn us away. When we do so, God isn't going to shake his head and sigh with disappointment when he sees us coming. When we do so, God isn't going to turn off the lights and hit the floor like somebody who's just seen the trick-or-treaters coming up the drive. When we do so, God is not going to hang a sign on the door saying, you've used up your quota for this week. All we need to do is to approach him and to ask for help. To ask for, as it says, mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. What does that mean? Mercy. Mercy for our sin. When we feel crushed by yet another failure, a besetting sin, we need to ask for mercy, for forgiveness. And of course, he grants it and he wonderfully lifts that burden off us. We're also encouraged to ask for grace, to ask for strength in our time of weakness. In the face of temptation, where we're tempted to doubt or disbelieve, we can say, Jesus, help me. And he will grant us grace, the strength to resist and the strength to continue trusting. That Jesus is our great high priest is great news. Maybe uh, you have been like the lost son in the kids' talk. Maybe you've been running from God your whole life. Jesus says, come back to God, but come back to God through me. I am your great high priest. You need a go-between. You need a high priest. You need one to offer the sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sin. And Jesus says to you, I will be your high priest and I will be your sacrifice. All you need to do is to ask. Come to me with empty hands. Come to me in faith and just ask. If you're a Christian, if you're somebody who's already trusting Christ as your high priest, then what will you do in those times when you feel weak or ashamed? What will you do in those times when you're assaulted by dark doubts, when you're assaulted by strong temptations or besetting sin? What will you do in the situations where maybe you're trying to encourage another Christian who has those struggles? What will you say to them then? You can come back to what we're seeing in Hebrews. Jesus is your great high priest. Jesus sympathizes with your struggles and weaknesses. And Jesus is more than willing to help. Jesus is not a stern principal figure. He is a caring brother. And all we need to do is to ask. Ask him for forgiveness. Ask him for strength. And he will grant it to us. Shall we pray to this great high priest now? Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who remained fully God during his time on earth, but also was at that same time fully human. We thank you we lived that earthly life with only the resources that you or I have. 
And we thank you, therefore, that he is wonderfully qualified to be our perfect high priest, the one who offered himself as a sacrifice for our sin, but the one who now represents us to yourself and gives us access to your presence through his death on the cross. Please, we pray, help us to embrace him as our Lord and Saviour or to move close to that point where we do if we have not yet done yet. Uh, done that and help us then when we've done that to continue to trust him as our sympathetic high priest our brother who knows the stresses and the pressures we face and who holds out his strength and his forgiveness to us to keep us going each step of the way to that wonderful end goal of the new creation of your rest of heaven please therefore help us to keep trusting that great high priest our lord jesus in the Lord Jesus himself, Christ. Amen.